Well, let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into our message for this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord. And I ask that in this moment, in this place, that your, your spirit would come down, and it would challenge us, and it would change us, and engage us. And all God's people said, amen. So we just wrapped up Easter. How many of y'all got some Easter treats still just laying around, some leftover treats? You know, maybe some Cadbury eggs. Come on, some, some chocolate bunnies, right? What about some Peeps? Y'all know Peeps? Who likes Peeps? All right, I'm about to ruin them for you. Just stay tuned. So all these are delicious in moderation. So my mom tells a story uh, whenever uh, my, li- my older sisters, when they were younger, And my mom told me this since I was a kid, me and my other sister. Um, One Easter, my mom got my sisters, two of them, each two boxes of peeps. So that's four in total, two boxes each, one pink, one yellow. And my sister's just, my sister Alexandra, she just loves peeps. And my mom's like, hey, look, you just need one. I'm telling you now, don't eat more than one. Because my mom's an adult, and my, not, my mom knows what's in peeps. Do you guys know what are in peeps? It's sugar, gelatin, and then more sugar. So my mom's like, hey, you only need to eat one. She knows how to consume this sugar and gelatin properly. Well, she notices, after a little while, she hasn't seen Alexandra, who might be tuning in. Hey, Alexandra. So she hasn't seen Alexandra in a little while. My mom's wondering, well, where's Alexandra at? And then she goes into the kitchen and she notices that the four boxes of peeps are not on the counter. I hear some people saying, oh no, you know where this is going. There's four boxes that are no longer where they're supposed to be. So my mom, she puts two and two together and then goes on the hunt for my little sister, well, older sister, little at the time, for my sister and the missing peeps. Well, she opens the back door and sees a little odd pile of like pink goo outside the back door and is like, that's odd. And then she finds my sister outside. She doesn't just find my sister. She finds a nice big pile of pink puke as well. And my sister is throwing up in the bushes. And she didn't want my mom to hear, so she went outside. But she left a little trail. And so my mom knew where to find her and the pink throw up. She'd eaten four boxes of peeps. And then threw them all up. She had blatantly disobeyed my mom's instructions. And it resulted in throwing up all of those peeps. My mom had not given her these instructions because my mom's mean. Or because my mom doesn't want me and my my siblings to enjoy life. She just knows that peeps are better in moderation. She knows the proper way to consume the sugar and the gelatin that won't result in sick stomachs and regret and pink puke. And so my mom actually didn't discipline my sister because she thought the peeps was enough of a punishment. Uh, But she did say, I told you not to eat. I told you not to eat all of these peeps because mommy knows best. I gave you clear instructions not to do this and you disobeyed. And so growing up, my, this, this story served as a warning to me and to my other sister. Number one, if you eat too many peeps, it will make you sick. And number two, we should, we, we really ought to. It's in our best interest if we obey our mother. 
And much like God, who's given us commands and instructions to follow, not because he's mean, not because he doesn't want us to enjoy life, it's actually quite the opposite. He actually wants us to be able to go through life without sick stomachs, regret, and pink throw up. He's given us these commands as uh, an invitation, an invitation into the correct way of doing life, an invitation into a relationship, an invitation into following him. So we're currently in week 32 of our sermon series called Isaiah for Today, where we are spending 10 months 10 months going through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. If you don't know who Isaiah is, Isaiah was an 8th century Hebrew prophet who lived about 800 years before Jesus. And his role was to communicate on behalf of God to the people and warn them that if they persisted in their wicked ways, God was going to use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for their evil deeds. They needed to listen. Guess what? They didn't. So they didn't listen. They didn't repent. And as God promised, they were exiled to Babylon. But God said he's not going to leave his people there. God promised to bring them back, but things would need to be different on the way back. They couldn't live in their old idolatrous ways anymore. They couldn't live in their old disobedient ways anymore, but he promised to bring them back, but he gave them some instructions to follow on their way back, which is why we have titled this installment of our series, The Way Back. Look at your neighbor and say, The Way Back. So on their way back, Isaiah describes the steps that the people must take. They must uh, lament. They must repent of their sins. They must have hope that God has something for them in the future. They must fear less and trust more. They must learn how to seek the Lord with all of their hearts. They must worship. They must lose their religion and love the Lord. And today we wrap up this last Thing the nation of Judah must do, and it's something that we must do as well, and that is obey. So let's jump into our passage for this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 33. We're going to read verses 10 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's A-OK. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you. Isaiah 33, 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will exalt Now I will be exalted. You conceive chaff, you give birth to stubble, your breath is a fire that will consume you, and the peoples will be as if burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. Here, you who are far off what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us? can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Well, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands, lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the uh, the, his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. So to sum this up, although this passage doesn't explicitly use this word or say it, this passage is about obedience. Simultaneously in this passage, God is talking and he's telling them how he will destroy his enemies, how exactly he's going to do it. Simultaneously, Isaiah is praying to God that God would have compassion, that God would show grace to them and spare them. 
So in his graciousness, God tells Isaiah exactly who will be spared from him and his consuming fire and his eternal burnings. He tells them, he tells us how we are to respond to his grace. They should respond with obedience to what he has commanded, to walk righteously, to speak uprightly, to respond, excuse me, to be honest with their money, to turn from evil. And their story should serve as a warning now to us as we read and study. Number one, sin in disobedience, like eating too many peeps, will make you sick. And number two, we must, we ought to, we really should obey God. So what does it mean to obey? What does it mean to obey? That may seem like an obvious question, but I want to look at the Hebrew word for obey. And that Hebrew word for obey is the word shema. Look at your neighbor and say shema. So shema means to hear, to listen, to pay attention, to understand, to submit, and to obey. But it's generally just translated as hear, H-E-A-R. But hear in Hebrew culture is different than hearing in our culture. It doesn't just mean to listen like it does for us. In this word, there's a direct correlation between hearing and doing. If you hear it, you do it. So this word here doesn't just, again, it doesn't mean to listen, but it stresses the physical action of obedience, which is actually doing the thing that is asked of you, the very thing that you heard. So in short, to hear is to obey. Parents, is it enough for your child just to hear you when you ask them to do something? No, heard instruction is not enough. They actually need to do what it is that you asked like not eating too many peeps. Otherwise, they get punished. When they actually do what it is that you ask, then you know that they actually heard you. Obedience is action. Obedience to God is what we are called to do. It's an action. God's word says, walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, so that you may prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. I want to tell you this morning, and I really want you to hear me, you have no idea what God can do in you and what God can do through you with just one single act of obedience. One single act of obedience could be the turning point for you in your life. One single act of obedience could change everything. One single act of obedience could be a new beginning. One single act of obedience could be the opportunity that you have been looking for. One single act of obedience could be the freedom that you have been praying for. One single act of obedience could be the thing that turns your stumbling block in your life into the stepping stone to where God has called you to be. One single act of obedience could save your life and it could save the life of someone else. For example, Abraham's life was forever changed because of one act of obedience. Moses led a nation out of slavery because he was obedient to what God had called him to do. David went from from leading sheep to leading a nation because he was obedient when God called him to go out and face a giant. But I know I know obedience can be hard. Have you ever wondered, why is it so hard to be obedient to what God has called me to do? Have you ever wondered that? Can I be honest with you here? I think there's there's a reason that it's hard for us. I think, number one, I think we're selfish sometimes. 
We like to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We're self-seeking. We have our own plans for our lives. I don't need a Santa Claus in the sky sitting on a golden throne telling me how I need to live my life, right? We're individualistic. Here in America, we live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the history of the world. We have a me, myself, and I mentality. Oftentimes, we are not worried about anyone else. I know me, and I know What's best for me? All of this, most oftentimes, is rooted in the idea that we don't like authority or the idea of someone telling us what it is that we need to do. I'll go a little deeper. How many of you love when someone tells you what to do? How many of you guys, you love when your boss comes into your office and tells you what you need to do, when you need to do it, and exactly how you need to do it? Anybody just love that? No, we don't. We love the idea of being our own boss, right? So that way no one can tell us what to do. We can be our own boss. We can make our own decisions. We can do what we want to do when we want to do it. Obedience is surrender. And we don't like to surrender. When I say that word, what comes to mind? Any of y'all, y'all MMA fans? Anybody? Got a couple people? You ever, if you've seen an MMA fight, you've got two guys who are fighting, and then if the fight goes to the ground, what can happen is they wrestle, and someone can get put into a very precarious situation, and if they don't tap out, or if they don't submit, or if they don't surrender, they're going to get choked out, or their arm's going to just get snapped off. Or I think of back in the olden days in like a battlefield when there's a battle going on and someone waves their white flag in surrender to spare themselves more destruction. In our culture, we think surrender is weakness, but in reality, it takes strength. It takes a lot of strength to surrender our will to God, to surrender our life to God. It's difficult. And obedience, it wasn't just hard for us. It's not just hard for us. It's hard for the people that we read about in this book. For example, Adam and Eve, the very first people, they were given a 99.9% success rate. You can eat of anything you want, just not that one. What do they do? They go eat that one thing, the one thing they were told not to do. Why? Because they wanted knowledge and they wanted power. After being set free from slavery, the Israelites rebelled against God and Moses, and then God made them wander in the desert for 40 years. And then Moses and Aaron didn't actually even get to enter into the promised land. Why? Because they disobeyed God. Jonah was commanded. He was told by God to go to, to preach to uh, the wicked city of Nineveh. Guess what? I don't, I don't want to. You can't make me. And then he goes and runs in the opposite direction of where God has called him to go, blatantly disobeying God, which resulted in him getting uh, thrown overboard and eaten by a fish. They all disobeyed because they had their own plans, they had their own agenda, and they wanted to do things their way, not God's. And we like to beat up on Jonah, but guess what? We do the exact same thing almost every single day. When God tells you to do something or God puts something on your heart, oftentimes we go in the opposite direction. And like them, it results in sick stomachs, regret, and pink puke. Obedience is surrender. 
But this obedience to God is an invitation. It's an invitation to a personal relationship. It's an invitation to protection. It's an invitation to blessing. It's an invitation to love. It's an invitation into a covenant relationship with God. Jeremiah 7.23 says this, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Isaiah 119 says this, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. What's he saying there? If you want the good of the land that God has for you, if you want the blessing that God has for you, if you want the healing that God has for you, if you want the breakthrough that God has for you, you have to be willing to obey the commands that God has given you. This kind of obedience will lead to breakthrough. All things are possible whenever you're walking in obedience. When I first got saved, I was 18 years old and I was on fire for Jesus, as they say. And I felt God putting it on my heart to do a 21-day fast. So if you don't know what a fast is, it's abstaining from food, whether that be for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or for all of them, and then only drinking water. And so many of you don't know this about me, but growing up, I had severe asthma. Um, I was diagnosed at two. Um, I was on a number of medications that I had to take every single day. I would do these things called breathing machines, breathing treatments, where I'd put a mask on and it would help me breathe. I would have to do one in the morning, I'd have to do one at night, and oftentimes I had to do them in the middle of the day because I had trouble breathing. Uh, there was many times that I was in the middle of the day at school and I have to go down to the office and, and take a breathing treatment. I always had an inhaler in my pocket. Always. I never left the house without my inhaler. As I'm, actually, when I was 10 years old, um, I was having an asthma attack, um, and I was gasping for air so desperately and violent that my lungs ripped, um, and I had a hole in my lung, and I was leaking air. And the doctor told my mom, I got taken to the emergency room really late at night, and the doctor told my mom that if I had just gone to sleep, I would have died in the middle of the night. So I had very, very severe asthma my whole entire life. My whole life. And then I'm praying and I'm doing this fast and, and I work at a, in a kitchen. I'm a cook in a kitchen doing a fast. Let me tell you, that is just torture. I do not recommend that. And so uh, if you've ever fasted, typically during mealtime um, is whenever you're, you're praying. Um, because man should not live on bread alone. At least that's what you tell yourself when your stomach is grumbling and you're really hungry. And so I'm praying and I'm in the, the restaurant and I'm you know, praying to myself. I'm like, Lord, you're my, my provider. God, you are my, my sustainer. God, you are my life. God, you are my joy. God, you are my healer. And I felt the Holy Spirit. No, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you really believe that? All the songs we're singing in church. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. Do you really believe that? I said, well, I want to. I want to believe that. Yeah, I do. God, you are my healer. And I don't hear what I'm not saying. And I'm not saying I recommend this, okay? I'm just saying what I felt called to do, what I felt the Holy Spirit putting on my heart, I stopped taking my medicine. Some of the moms in here gasped. That's why I didn't tell my mom that I did this. So I stopped taking my medicine. Which again, if I would miss my medicine for one day, two days tops, I was in the hospital. The doctors and nurses knew me by name because I was always there. I stopped taking my medicine. 
And I believed that. And for the first time in like 15, 16 years, the next day, I didn't take my medicine. I walked out of the house without an inhaler in my pocket, believing in faith that God was my healer. One day went by, two days went by, three days went by, 21 days went by. And to this day, I have not taken any medication for asthma and I've never been hospitalized for it. In that moment, God did a miracle. God uh, used the obedience for a breakthrough. And I've told that story and some people have been offended and some people have been upset. But if we're going to sing that God is the way maker, God is the miracle worker, why don't we believe that? Why don't we walk in faith? Obedience leads to breakthrough, but obedience requires faith. You have to trust God when he speaks. Once during my undergrad, I was in the, the bookstore on campus uh, and, and I saw this guy, uh, and he had like face tats and dreads. And so like any good Christian, I immediately judged him um, and was like, that guy's scary. He's probably a criminal. Just being honest. That's what went through my mind. And of course, God was like, yeah, that's funny. Go talk to him. I was like, what? What am I going to say? God, I'm just in here to get a book, and then I'm going to go back to class. I don't have time for people. I don't have time to love my neighbor. I got stuff I got to do. I got to go to class. And so I just felt really convicted. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk up to him. And I walk up to him and pull one of those and just kept walking. And I felt so convicted every step that I took further away from where God had told me to be. And so I said, all right, God, I'm going to do it. So I walk up to him and I'm like, hey, man, uh, I like your tattoos. That's the first thing that came out. And he's like, thanks. And I'm like, yeah, where'd you get them? It turns out we have the same tattoo artist. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And we get to talking and I have no idea why, but I was like, hey, you want to get some coffee sometime? Which is weird to ask another dude randomly in a bookstore. Hey, I like your tattoos. You want to get coffee with me later? Um, I'm like, yeah, it was weird. Uh, and he, he said yes, uh, which I didn't think he would. He said yes. And then he actually showed up to coffee the next day. And we're sitting there and we're just chatting and, and we're just talking. And, and he's telling me about his life. And, and I'm sharing Jesus with him. I'm sharing the gospel with him. And, and I just said, man, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if you're a believer. I don't know if you believe in God. But something compelled me yesterday to come up and talk to you. And he starts crying. And he said, the night before we met, I had a noose around my neck. And I was planning to take my life. And it was the second time that he had been contemplating suicide and attempting suicide. And he said, I don't know why, but something just compelled me to pray. And I said, God, I just need you to send me a sign. And I just need you to send me somebody to show me that you care about me. And then the next day, I got to walk up to him and tell him I like his tattoos and, and buy him a cup of coffee. And then that night... He came to our campus ministry. I invited him to come and he sat in the front row and then he accepts Jesus into his heart. And then a few weeks later, I got to baptize him. <sighs> Sorry, my eyes are sweating. It's really hot up here. <laughs> oh. You have no idea. You have no idea what God can do in you and what God can do through you with just one single act of obedience. 
Living in obedience is where healing happens. It's where souls are saved. It's where lives are changed. It's where eternities are redeemed. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. So you may be asking, well, what does it look like to obey? This is a tough question. We want to love God. We want to do what he commands. But sometimes when we read the Bible, it's just hard to understand. Sometimes obeying God isn't always just black and white. Right? Some, some are. Don't get me wrong. Don't murder anyone. That's, total, that's, all, that's very black and white. That command is very clear. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to. All right? That's very black and white. But then we come across passages like this one in Matthew, Matthew uh, 28 and 29. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. What the heck am I supposed to do With that, am I supposed to like chop my arm off? Am I supposed to pluck my eye out? Sometimes obeying God isn't always black and white. Sometimes there's some gray that we need to work through together, that we need to talk about together as a community. But Isaiah does bring some clarity to this, and he outlines the obedience that God desires. It's found in verses 15 of our passage in 33. It says, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. In other words, the kind of obedience that God is after is living right, speaking truth, despising exploitation, don't take bribes, reject violence, and avoid evil amusement. And so I've broken this down into guess how many points? Three points. Good job. Number one, obey God with your manners. Obey God with your manners or your actions. God commands us to walk uprightly. Well, what does that mean? Well, Isaiah sheds some light on that in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says this, you must seek, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Like we discussed earlier, it isn't enough just to hear. We must be doers of the word, as James says. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. If we profess to know God and to love God, we must live the way that he has called us to live, loving our neighbors, being kind to people that we disagree with, making right the things that we have done wrong, serving the vulnerable. There's a number of ways that you can do that here at Rooftop. A number of ways that you can do that. You can get involved in our homeless ministry. You can talk to Justin Stone and get involved there. You can get involved in the Afton Christian Food Pantry. I think Julie Fox is still overseeing that. I want to take a moment. I want to brag on some of my youth kids. Because what do we do mostly during uh, spring break? What do we like to do? We like to go on vacation. We like to go to the beach. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. You earned a vacation. Take a vacation. But what do most people do during vacation? They go to the beach. You want to know what the Weisler kids did with their spring break? They went down to Mexico to build houses. 
giving up their spring break to go and serve others, to obey God with their actions, sacrificing time and effort. And that reveals the love of God in our actions. That is obeying God with our manners. Number two, obey God with your mouth. This is is hard for a lot of us. Isaiah says to speak uprightly. James goes into a little bit more detail. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the body parts. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. What's he saying there? Your tongue is powerful. The words you use have power to build up or to tear down. Like the psalmist says in 1821, life and death, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words can destroy or your words can build up. Obeying God with your mouth means watching your mouth and using your words to lift others up and represent Jesus. So next time someone makes you mad and you've got that comment that is just that comeback that is going to just wreck their whole life. You are commanded, not suggested. You are commanded by the king of the universe to watch your mouth. Number three, obey God with your money. Isaiah says not to exploit the poor, to take bribes and to be generous. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Proverbs 22.16 issues a warning. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. To summarize this, be honest with your money and be generous to those in need. It's very simple. If we hold our wealth tightly like this and not open-handed like this, willing to help those in need, we are not obeying God. We are blatantly disobeying what God has called us to do. And we are disobeying, being disobedient, and not being the people that he has called us to be. Now, as I close, the battle that I've had as I prepared this sermon, and even as I give it to you this morning, is that I do not want to teach you moralism. If you're a good person and you follow the rules, God will do blank. That is not what I want you to get from this, and that is not what I'm saying. The truth is, in our own power, in our own strength, we can't do any of this. We cannot obey God. We can't honor Him with our actions. We can't watch our mouths. We can't be generous. We are the kid who disobeys and steals all the peeps and then eats all the peeps. We are the Israelites who rebel against their Savior God. We are Moses and we are Aaron. We are Jonah. We are Adam and Eve. We ran away. We ate the fruit. We disobeyed. All of us. But Romans 5.19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, that many will be made righteous. Because of our sin, we are enslaved to sin, hostile to the ways of God, but because of one man's obedience, we are made righteous. We can't obey, but Jesus did. And because of his power and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we now can. 
Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are set free from the chains of slavery. And the Spirit of God dwells within us, justifying us and sanctifying us and spurring us on to be the people of God here on earth. People who love God and obey His commands. People who love God and obey, uh, obey Him with their words and with their actions and with their money. Because of Jesus... I want you to know that this morning that we are made new and we are new creations and we are given his spirit which enables us to surrender. It enables us to know him and to be obedient to him as he leads us on the way back home. So Dante and and the team are going to lead us in a, in a song this morning that has been one of my favorite songs for a very long time. We've never sang it here at Rooftop, but you may know it. And during this song, I want you to think, and I I want you to sit there, and I want you to pray, and I want you to ask yourself, how is God calling you to be obedient this morning? I want you to think, I want you to pray as you're singing these words, I want you to be thinking, how is God calling me to be obedient this morning? And what's holding you back from being obedient? What is preventing you from surrendering your all to him this morning? Because God is calling you this morning to be obedient. And this obedience is an invitation into real, into true life. It's an invitation to surrender all to the God of the universe who loves you so much. You have no idea what God can do in you and what God can do through you with just one single act of obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we surrender in this place today. If there's anyone in here who's battling that, who's struggling with that, who's just struggling to surrender their will to you, Lord, I ask that you would just reveal yourself here in this place in a real, authentic, genuine way this morning, that they would know that they can trust you, the king of the universe, the author of creation. They can trust you with their life and that they can be obedient to you. Lord, I ask that you would just give us all the strength and all the courage and the boldness to be able to walk in obedience and to be able to walk into faith here in this place today and that we would not leave here the same way that we walked in. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to change us and shape us and mold us. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.